Good morning, ladies. It's so wonderful to hear you all chatting. We're going to have some extra time this morning in our groups, which will be wonderful. Um, if you haven't yet already, please grab a handout that's in the back table. There's actually two pieces, uh, two pages. And also, um, because we aren't videotaping the lectures, you only have, you can listen to them on SoundCloud. Having uh, the handout with you when you're listening makes it a lot easier because there's a, you're not seeing the slides up here. So um, we're going to be sending uh, the PDF for all the different handouts for any lectures. You could uh, download it at home if you have uh, need to listen to a lecture that you've missed. Also, to um, the handouts, just outside of here, there's a big plastic box, and Tiffany only, always keeps a few extra of the handouts um, from the different teachings in the box as well. So you can find them there. So I hope that will help you. So I don't know what whatever you have planned for the rest of the day, I hope it includes spending some time outside. It is going to be beautiful today and actually the next couple of days. This is just remarkable. So let's start by thanking God for this beautiful day. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the beauty that is surrounding us and the blessings of this warmer weather. We ask, Lord, that you will bless this time together and we're grateful that we can freely gather we ask, Lord, that you will help us to set aside the busyness of the day and anything that's weighing heavy on our heart and focus on you and each other. Help us, Lord, to learn from your word and what you have for us to hear today. May your words be spoken here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, when I'm done, we are going to see the video. It's only about five minutes long, but I really like what Ruth has to say. So, so when I'm finished, then the video will start, and then we'll be dismissed to our groups. Before we dig into Colossians 4, I just want to do a brief recap of the preceding chapters. In chapter 1, Paul gave thanks because Epaphras had shared the gospel with the Colossians, and they had responded in faith, hope, and love. Julie reminded us, if you remember, she told us that we are to sift what we hear through the truth of God's word, just like the Colossians were to sift what they, what they were hearing from the false teachers through what they knew was, to be, was true about God. Um, and then Paul explained Christ's supremacy in all things. Jesus is our only source of salvation because he is fully God and fully man. Paul then explained, um, oh, so with the fullness of Christ proclaimed, Paul goes on in chapter 2 to refute some of the false teaching that the Colossians were uh, being plagued by, the things that were confusing them. He reminded them that their sin nature had been circumcised, put off, and that they had been raised in Christ through faith. Cheryl gave us the picture of the men stranded in the middle of the ocean surrounded by sharks with no ability to save themselves. Just like Paul said in verse 13, the Colossians were dead in their sins, unable to save themselves, but they were made alive in Christ because of the mercy of his forgiveness. Then in chapter 3, Paul encourages the Colossian believers by giving them a better understanding of how different they are now because they are clothed in Christ. 
Janice had these cards made for us to remind us of who we are in Christ and that we're also clothed in him. If you don't have one, be sure to ask your group facilitators for one. Then in chapter 4, we find the wrap-up of Paul's instructions, and that's what we're going to study today. Okay, so we're uh, going to be devoted to prayer, be wise, and be salty. Now, be devoted to prayer, be devoted could also mean steadfast or faithful. Let's start with verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer is a big topic. And if you want to study it further, I recommend a study that Pat Entz wrote years ago called Building Your Spiritual Fitness. She covers prayer very well here, and she... Um, and I highly recommend it. She also covers other spiritual disciplines. Prayer is drawing near to God in mind, body, and spirit. The primary purpose of our prayer is to connect with God, whether seeking help from him or spending time in communion with him. We nourish and grow our relationship with God, the great God Almighty, when we focus our thoughts on him. We align our will to his will when we're, when we, through prayer and studying his word. But Paul adds something else to our prayer, being watchful. This is a photo of my daughter's dog, Otis, and her cat, Ethel. And they are being watchful. And I would like to say that they are guarding the house, but in fact, Otis is trying to get a glimpse of the neighbor's dog so that he can bark at him. And... Ethel is watching for birds because there's a bird feeder just outside the window. And they just happened to be watching at the same time when my daughter was able to, to take this photo. Whoops. Sorry. So I don't always think about prayer and being watchful together. But we should because the enemy is always near and we must stay alert when we pray. I found some example in, examples of God in God's word of being watchful or alert, uh, and I put those verses there on your handout that you could read later. The Colossians needed to be watchful that falsehoods didn't creep into their beliefs, but the same goes for us. If it's inconsistent with the Bible, it's probably not true. Every day, we are faced with information that pushes up against the truth in God's word. We need to stay alert, so we pray for discernment, courage, and strength to oppose the falsehoods and stand for what is true. After Paul tells the Colossians to be watchful, he also tells them to be thankful. When my prayers become one-sided and all I do is ask of God, then I am, and I'm not giving him the thanks that I should, then I'm being selfish and my prayer life suffers. The author Oswald Chamber wrote, we look upon prayer simply as a means of getting things for ourselves, but the biblical purpose of prayer is that we may get to know God himself. In the late 90s, I was in a Bible study group with a young mom who shared that when she started her prayer with praise and thanksgiving, her list of requests just diminished. 
And I'll never forget it because her face just glowed when she was telling us this. We all know that thankfulness flows from a right understanding of who we are in Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. Each day we need to remember what we've learned from Colossians and our hearts will naturally flow with thanksgiving. Paul is always thanking God and his letters are full of gratitude. Let's look at verse uh, 17 and chapter 3. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are to be watchful, thankful, and we are to be purposeful in prayer. Let's read verses 3 and 4 again. They're on your handout. The, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul echoes this same request in Ephesians 6. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul is modeling being purposeful in prayer because he's asking very specifically. Just like Paul is here, we need, to be, we need to remember to be purposeful and specific when we pray so that we can better see the, our answers to prayer and then praise him for those answers. When my prayers become more general, I know my heart isn't in it. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, said, When thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words without heart. That's when I, so when I start my prayer with praise and thanksgiving, my heart is full of love and gratitude, and then I'm filled with the Spirit, and I will natu naturally, purposely pray in his will. Another person who modeled prayer for us was Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in, at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Clearly, Epaphras was devoted to prayer, especially for others. When I see God's faithfulness in the lives of others I've prayed for, then I could know he is also faithful to me. That's what I love about studying God's word in a group. Because as we share how God is working in our lives, then God becomes even bigger to us and he is glorified over and over. And we also see more answers to prayer. I love this verse from 1 John. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In the late 1800s, the Archbishop of Dublin once said, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. So, moving on to verse 5. I don't think I have a slide. Nope, I don't. Oh, back how do I go back? Thank you. <laughs> okay, be, I think it's on your handout. I'm sorry. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. It says, be wise. 
Well, 1 James, 1 James 5, James 1, 5, there we go, encourages us to ask God for wisdom, and he will generously give it to us. But wisdom isn't the same as intelligence. A simple-minded person can be filled with God's precious wisdom. And we see many examples around us of decisions made by intelligent people who lack God's wisdom. My heart's desire is to be filled with God's wisdom so that, it, that, it, so that I can rely on his wisdom for my decisions and for the words that I speak. But too often, I rely on my own form of wisdom due to my pride. Janice told us last week that if there's sin in our lives, it's because we threw it a lifeline. So why do I throw the sin of pride a lifeline? Because sometimes I don't completely trust that my full confidence is in Christ alone, and I go back to trusting myself. When this happens, I pray that God will remove all of the pride from me, even if there's just a sliver left of me because there's so much pride, because I know he will give me the strength and ability to glorify him when I submit fully to his will and follow his wisdom. Just like Paul reminded the Colossians, I need to remember that my old self, my sin nature, has been circumcised, put cut off by the blood of Jesus on the cross. But now when I pray that God would remove my pride so I can rely on his wisdom, that prayer has new meaning to me. In September, I had surgery for parathyroid disease. We all have four parathyroids, and they're about the size of a grain of rice, and they regulate the amount of calcium that's in our bloodstream. Um, they're also redundant because we could live on just one half of one parathyroid. After my surgery, I was so surprised when my doctor told me that he had removed three of my four parathyroids because they had nodules on them, causing them to be overactive and putting all the calcium into my blood. And he also removed a, a um, nodule from my thyroid, which is typical of this disease. But the other cool thing was, I spoiled the surprise, they also gave me a photo of it. Isn't that gross? <laughs> Sin's pretty gross too, but I think it's so gross. But I love it. I love this photo because it's a visual to me that just like this was cut out of me, never to go back in and cause my body harm from the high calcium levels, so too was my sin nature put to death. And sin has no hold on me. So I am cutting off that lifeline to the sin of pride, and I am relying on God's wisdom, and I pray he will give me the strength to do so. So after asking God to fill us with his wisdom, not relying on our own strength, we can confidently approach outsiders or nonbelievers. Paul reminded the Colossians several times about their lives, how their lives used to be when they were outsiders. Remembering the sin that we've been saved from keeps us humble and empathetic to those who have yet to receive such grace. This shows God's wisdom to the world. And we are to make the most of every opportunity. Because we are prayerful, watchful, and thankful, 
we will be open to seeing the opportunities that God brings us every day to share the mystery of Christ with nonbelievers, whether through our words or through our actions. And we need to be salty, but not like a sailor. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Let our speech be gracious or merciful, forgiving, compassionate, kind, tactful. We all do that, right? Whoa, it is so hard to do this sometimes, especially if I'm tired or if I'm hungry or I'm angry. It's not good. So I love this saying, Lord, make my words tender and sweet, for tomorrow I may have to eat them. And I am very glad that words do not have calories, because it would not be a good look. Paul is very bold when he talks to the Ephesians about their words as well. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And sometimes they do listen to us, don't they, about what we're saying on current events or politics or opinions about the church. So just like he tells us here to build up others, at the end of the letter uh, we find mention of Tychicus, who is a good example of building others up with encouragement. By the way, in the video, Ruth is going to ask, who is your Tychicus? And this is who she's talking about. We learn in 2 Timothy that Paul asked Tychicus to also go to the Ephesians, and he writes to the Ephesians a similar message as he does here. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Our speech is to be gracious, but is also to be seasoned with salt. I found some facts about salt I thought were interesting. You know the expression, he is not worth his salt? That came from ancient Greece because, sadly, they used to trade salt for slaves. And Roman soldiers were paid with salt money called salarium argentum, from which we get our English word salary. There are also many superstitions around salt. And the French, and I think lots of other countries, including ours, throw a little spilled salt over their shoulder to hit the devil in the eye to stop him temporarily from causing any more mischief. Salt cleanses and it purifies, and it's also a great preservative. It preserves by dehydrating the food, and it purifies by stopping the growth of bacteria. So when applying the concept of salty speech, Think about what you're saying as preserving God's truth in the face of so many falsehoods. And you are stopping the spread of lies, slander, hatred by being gracious and truthful by what you say. In the Bible, salt is added to sacrifices. Leviticus 2 instructs the Israelites to add salt to their grain offering. So perhaps we can think of our words as as sacrifices to God, offered in the right way, in the right manner. 
Salt also makes people thirsty. By our character and conduct, we ought to make others thirsty for the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that only he can give. The last part of verse 6 says, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Well, how will we know? Because we are devoted to prayer and full of God's wisdom, so we will be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that we have. From 1 Peter. Warren Wearsby sums it up. When character, conduct, and conversation are all working together, it makes for a powerful witness. And that's what we all want to be, right? A powerful witness for God. At the end of the letter, in verse 16, Paul asked the Colossians that after they, they had read his, this letter, that they, he wanted them to swap letters with the Laodiceans, who were about 10 miles away, because he also wrote a letter to them. But sadly, we have lost that letter. As we know, Paul wrote this letter from prison. And God used Paul's time in captivity sort of as a gift, because Paul had 24-7 to pray and to write. And also, if he had made it to Colossae, he wouldn't have needed to write the letter, and we wouldn't have this incredible book to teach us and inspire us. Before we go to the video, I wanted to share a hymn with you that we sang a couple of weeks ago at the South Street campus. It's called Take My Life and Let It Be by Frances Havergal. I thought it captured the picture of a woman devoted to prayer, full of God's wisdom and gracious speech, ready for any opportunity that God brings her way. I have the words of the hymn in your handout. I thought you would like to know who wrote the hymn and that she, that Frances also played the piano and she sang. She wrote poetry and other hymns and she was in demand as a soloist. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to hear her sing this song? This hymn was written during a five-day stay where she was in a house with ten other people. Some were believers but were not rejoicing, as she put it, and also there were non-believers, or as Paul would say, outsiders. After praying for all of them, the Lord blessed them all through Francis um, during her stay there. On her final night, she was too happy to sleep, and in her words, those little couplets formed themselves and chimed in my heart, one after another, till they finished with ever only all for thee. I hope you will be blessed by this hymn. Thank you for listening.